One of the best ways that I have found to introduce the skill set to people is I like to talk about what you have in your empathy toolkit. We all, it's predicated on personality, on life experiences. We have our go-to tools. And because we're a grief adverse culture, we don't like looking at our toolkit until we have to reach for something. And then we're just reaching for the same thing and we're regurgitating like what great uncle Jack said to you at your first funeral when you were nine years old. Welcome back, everyone, to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on all around us and explore the disruptive convergence of technology, business, and people. Here are your hosts, Ira Wolf and Jason Cochran. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Geek Skeezers and Googleization, a show from the People Forward Network. I'm Ira Wolf, and thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. And I'm Jason Cochran. If you think this is just another podcast, think again. We're the voice of the most important, crucial conversations that are confronting business leaders and people today. And our goal is to bring you ways to reimagine tomorrow and explore the impact and the convergence of business, technology, and people. This episode of Geek Skeezers and Googleization is sponsored by our partner, Y Institute, your personal and professional GPS for a meaningful life and purpose-filled career. We'll be talking more about them in just a few minutes. Our conversation today is with Liesl Murtis about empathy, and it couldn't come in a better time, Jason. Just yesterday, I had the distinct pleasure of presenting the Everywhere Workplace in a Never Normal World at the eighth annual Evolution Conference. The room was packed, over 300 people. There was 800 people in attendance, so almost half the group was in my session. As a speaker, watching event planners carry in additional chairs to, to give seats always gives a speaker a boost of energy and confidence. But I gotta tell you, the responses that participants gave to a few of the polls that I that I posted reveals that businesses have a really long way to go in getting the people are our most important asset right. For example, I asked the attendees how many people felt respected yesterday. The answer, only 30%. I asked how many people felt joy. The answer, 48%. How many people smiled yesterday? Only 30%. What's more disturbing is that this was a leadership conference. I wasn't talking to a, a group of frontline workers. These are the leaders and managers in companies. Many are the owners and executives. If this is the state of the positive experiences these people feel in work and life, can you imagine what the results might be for the rest of the workforce and in our communities. I also ask another question, how many employees do they believe are living their best possible life? 10, they are. One is the worst possible life and five would be surviving and coping, but struggling a bit. 52% of the attendees said only 50% of their workers are living a best possible life. 20% said uh, only 25% of their workforce. Uh, so 72%, almost three out of five uh, of these leaders and managers felt that their, that their workers 
uh, we're living this best possible life. And I, I don't know, here's a four letter word I'd like to share. Ouch. <laughs> I can't wait to hear with Lizel has to say and how she can help us raise this awareness. And it's a pretty low bar to step over. So hopefully everybody's listening and takes advantage of this. But first, it's time for our pay for labor story. On each episode, we take a few minutes to focus on one disruptive, surprising or worrisome trend that we believe you should know. And here is today's perfect labor storm information. Of course, it's related to what we're talking about. A study conducted by one poll is quite fitting. It indicated 62% of American workers worry their bosses would judge them for taking mental health days. According to Business Solvers' sixth annual State of Workplace Empathy Study, 68% of CEOs admitted they fear they will be less respected if they showed empathy in the workplace. That same study found that 76% of employees, you see, there's this trend going on here, 76% of employees believe an empathetic organization inspires more motivated employees. And in a recent uh, 2021 Ernst & Young survey, 89% of employees agree that empathy leads to better leadership. Those stats are, are pretty eye-opening there, Ira. And, you know, I think we've all probably experienced or been the deliverers of bad empathy at times in life. Um, sometimes it sounds like this, uh, like if, if you've lost a loved one, you've probably heard someone say before, well, at least they aren't suffering anymore. Or maybe you shared something about having a hard day and someone's response is, well, at least you don't have to deal with, and then they fill in the blank with something that's going on in their life. Or how about this one? You open up and you share something about a hardship that you're going through. And the person responds with, well, the same thing happened to me when, I'm guessing these sound pretty familiar because they happen way too often in tough life situations. I got to tell you, just a personal story here real quick before we bring Lisa on to talk through uh, empathy in the workplace. One lesson I learned on this topic of empathy happened many years ago when I used to work in schools as an educational psychologist. A principal at one of the schools where I worked was frustrated with a third grade student who was consistently showing up late to school by a few hours each day on his bicycle. And the principal asked me to be present when he was going to question the student about this. Some of the thoughts and the assumptions that were going through the principal's head in my head at the time were, why doesn't the student ride the bus? Why can't the student get up early enough to get to school on time? And why does he think he can show up late with a, without there being any consequences? Turned out we were totally wrong and misguided in our assumptions. The student shared that his mother took him to a different house most nights in the county along with his bicycle often just dropping him off with mere acquaintances or people that he didn't even know. He was then responsible for getting himself up in the morning and figuring out how to get to school from this unfamiliar place where he'd stay that night. So he'd hop on his bike when he woke up and he'd start riding. And he'd ride around until he could find a gas station or a store that was open where he could go in and ask an unfamiliar adult for directions on how to get to his school. This student didn't need an inquisition. He needed a supportive community, and that's why he tried his best to make it to school despite his circumstances. The lesson I learned from this was needing to have a posture of curiosity instead of judgment. And the truth is, this isn't all too different from what happens in our workplaces with adults, too. 
How often do we or people we work with jump to conclusions about coworkers without asking questions first to understand their reality? Well, today, Liesl Murtis, our empathy guru, is going to show us what healthy empathy in the workplace looks like, and I can't wait for it. And before we, we get there, I just want to remind everybody that we do offer SHRM credits, HR credits. Uh, for anyone who listens, you can simply go to googleizationnation.com on the upper right corner on the menu. Uh, there is a, uh, just click on podcast and there is a form you can download. Uh, well, not download, the form you can fill out, uh, submit to us. It asks you just a few questions just to make sure you were listening, a few talking points, some, an action step that you might take. Uh, and then in return, we will send you the activity code uh, to get your credits and you can earn anywhere from a half to a full episode. Uh, this also pertains to every episode we had and we now have over 220. So you can get quite a few credits from us. Uh, while you're up there, please subscribe to Googleization Nation. It's free and you'll hear a lot more. You'll be updated with newsletter and a, a number of events that are coming out and some special offers. Uh, and if you're listening on a podcast, uh, please rate the show, rate the uh, rate our podcast, and if you would be willing, please leave a leave a quick review. It's it's quite easy. Perfect. And so this seems like a perfect time to go ahead and bring Liesl onto the show, and let's talk a little bit of empathy in the workplace today. Liesl, welcome to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. I'm glad to be with you today. Thank you so much for being with us. And and Liesl, probably a good place to start is. You are an empathy guru and a consultant who works on this inside organizations. How did you get to that point in life of this being your gig of what you do? Well, first off, I think it's one of the most interesting and impactful fields of management development and just leadership studies right now. But it's a new and emerging field uh, that I came through. Uh, my own life experience. You know, you shared a story at the top. And I believe as humans, we're really meant to connect with stories at a primal level. Um, the origins of what led to me establishing Handle with Care Consulting about four years ago actually began when I was in business school. I was a first-year MBA student. I had two young children, and I was I was unexpectedly pregnant with our third. Uh, that was not in our strategic plan, but I was starting and sitting in finance class and going to my prenatal appointments. And we found out at um, the twenty-week scan that our daughter, a little girl named Mercy Joan, actually had a, a pretty profound birth defect. Uh, it was called an encephalocele. It was this condition that there's a wide range of outcomes. Uh, it can have mild impairment. It can be terminal. It can be something that requires surgery, but they really don't know until you get an outside the womb MRI. So I carried her to term. Um, she was born and she actually died just eight days after that. Um, that has ripple effects into so many aspects of my story. But as it relates to what I now do, it was also this moment um, as a high achiever, as someone who um, accomplished many things easily and well, I knew that I was not okay. Um, I needed a lot of support. And some people were really well equipped to give it. And some people had no idea how poor they were at it and how much they missed me when they missed me. And in a, in a meta context, I was in this expensive program for two years with all kinds of classes and touch points and supplemental activities devoted to the art of managing people. And I realized, how are there not, you know, five minutes of a single class session that 
are devoted to managing people in the midst of disruption, which in the life of a manager, disruptive life events, whether it's your own or someone else's, uh, happen all the time. So that was the first step that led into uh, many roundtables with people who had gone through disruption or HR directors um, and research and realizing this wasn't just a human need, but also a business need as well. And thank you for sharing that, Liesl. And I mean, you can just tell that this is something that, you know, you've 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 lived through and, and you've now turned it into a passion where you're helping people develop this. And it is a skill that has to be developed, right? It's not just something that many times just happens naturally. You know, as we talked about at the top, sometimes the words that come out of people's mouths, you're like, whoa. And sometimes it might be our own mouths where we're like, did I really just say that? Right. But one thing I want to ask you is, we often hear the terms empathy and sympathy maybe used interchangeably, but they're different, right? How are they different? They are different. And uh, there's there's a great Brene Brown little animated video if you want to get uh, like a, a nice visual of it. Sympathy tends to be like, oh, poor you, something has happened to you. It is a, an aspect of remove from it. Whereas empathy is connecting more to the emotions that underpin the experience. It's not, oh, Jason, you had a parent die. I've had a parent die. I get it. Like empathy can emerge from that space, but actually defining empathy that way can lead to some distance because if we think, oh, I've never experienced that. I have no idea what that's like. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. All of those pivots mentally actually move us away from people. When we think about empathy, which is experiencing something in common, it's much more helpful to think about the emotions that underpin the experience. That's another line of um, Dr. Brown's. What are the emotions that are underneath the experience? Now, you might have had a parent die. I have not. Um, instead of that moving me back, I could think instead, what emotions might you be feeling? You might be sad. You might be lonely. You might be really angry. And the fact is, I actually have felt sad, lonely, and angry. And although this isn't 100%, I might not get it completely right. The things that help me when I'm sad might not help you in the same sort of way. It moves me a lot closer to feeling a sense of agency, care, and connection than uh, just all of those things of backing up that sympathy or empathy that is rooted only in shared experience. So Lisa, yesterday, as I said, I was doing this presentation and it, it was about the employee experience. And certainly part of that is, is leaders having empathy, coworkers having empathy, understanding the plight of people. And, 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 and again, people are living all these different lives and everybody will have a story. But a really interesting comment came up at, at the end. One of the other consultants came up and approached me and, and I, I don't believe I ever mentioned the word empathy during the session. And she said, something about that it was a trait she says i just don't I, I really struggle because i don't have that empathy trait um and i said but but it's an ability it's something that we can learn to do and it, we have to step out of our comfort zone and so forth so that's the first con i guess question i wanted to ask you but then she came back and she said but i'm just not good at it because i'm an introvert which I thought was really interesting. It's like, okay, here we go down that path again, that rabbit hole. Extroverts are, are really good at empathy and introverts aren't good at empathy, which I know is totally false, uh, but I'd love to hear your comments on both aspects of that. Is it, is it a trait or an ability? And how, does, how do different personalities relate to, um, to empathy? 
It's a great question. I'm not surprised that you heard those things at a leadership conference. Um, those are limiting beliefs that will keep you stuck in suboptimal habits. And I will answer your question, but you know, I hear that again and again. Uh, believe it or not, there are a number of people who get to leadership positions and it's not because they're actually good with people. And uh, it tends to be a pass that they want to give to themselves and that they want other people to extend to them. Well, their their numbers are off the chart, but they're just terrible with people. I'm um, shocked. I know. <laughs> I'm going to choose a third option. I'm going to, you know, trait and ability. I like those words enough. I prefer when I talk about it, I say it's a skill set. It is a skill set. And the truth is that some people do come to it more naturally. We can't deny that. We experience that even if we don't have language for it in our worlds. There are some people that are a lot more naturally gifted. They are inclined to do this. They are natural connectors. They are intuitive by nature. Maybe extroverted features into that, although it doesn't have to. There's some really great people at Empathy who are introverted. One of the best ways that I have found to introduce the skill set to people is I like to talk about what you have in your empathy toolkit. We all, it's predicated on personality, on life experiences. We have our go-to tools. And because we're a grief adverse culture, we don't like looking at our toolkit until we have to reach for something. And then we're just reaching for the same thing and we're regurgitating like what great uncle Jack said to you at your first funeral when you were nine years old, like tomorrow's another day. And you just think that's what you say to people because we don't train for it. Um, how I like to introduce people to what is in their toolkit is through empathy avatars, which are uh, some memorable types that allow people to uh, identify some of their go-to coping mechanisms in their own disruptive life events or in other people's. For example, uh, a skill like an avatar that we really like, they often get promoted to high levels, is a fix-it-frank mentality, where any disruption is a problem to be fixed. You know, like, oh, you something, something difficult is going on? Well, have you tried this? What about that? How about that? And uh, how that jumping to just fixing somebody instead of acknowledging first where they're at uh, is really limiting. There's commiserating Candace, cheer up Cheryl, buck up Bobby, even as I say those. Uh, apologies to anyone who holds that name. They were strictly chosen for alliterative factors and nothing else, but uh, it allows people to see ways that they commonly go off the rails and to say, oh yes, so for commiserating Candace, that's someone who's a natural connector, they are very prone to, as soon as somebody shares, you know, um, my husband got laid off. Oh my gosh, I know exactly what that's like. Tom got laid off last year and it was just terrible. And we were navigating all the paperwork and getting better. Before you know it, they have centered themselves. So when you know where you tend to go askew, then for like commiserating Candace's, one of the mantras to just have in your mind is, and I do this myself because I tend towards it, it's still not my time to talk. It's still not my time to talk. It's still not my time to talk. And really focusing on things like tell me more to the other person. So, um, yeah, that's that. Those are some of the ways that I introduce people to developing that skill set on a foundational level. I love that, Liesl. And I remember when when we talked through this a few months ago, and you're telling me about the avatars, how quick it was for me to see that I'm a fix it Frank. And my wife, when she's going to listen to this episode, she's going to be like, "Oh yeah, you're totally a fix it Frank." Because she's always telling me, she was like, look, just because you're a psychologist doesn't mean what I'm telling you about a problem that I want you to solve it. Um, she's like, I just want you to shut up and listen. Um, and so those are good reminders for me. But I'm curious, whenever you do work and, and you go inside organizations to bring empathy into the workplace, 
and to do training and development. Can you kind of paint a picture for us? You, you mentioned the toolkit. What does it actually look like? Are people doing role playing or what are the things that you've seen are the most helpful in getting people to acquire those skills? Yes. Well, my sessions are really interactive because um, we have to be able to metabolize this content. This isn't something that you just see up on a slide deck and you're like, oh, that's me. Now I know exactly how to change it because it's human based. Even when I speak at conferences with a bunch of people who like, they're not going to see each other again. You are practicing with your partner. What, uh, what does emotional mirroring look like? How do we say someone's emotions back? How do we listen for those words? Because especially people, so this is, um, there are types like interrogating Edwards. They're, they're very data-driven. They're very observational. It's taking that natural bent, which sometimes I, I do a lot of work with tech companies. There are a number of interrogating Ed Edwards there. But you take that same observational capacity and you use it instead to be paying attention like a detective to the feelings that are going on. And then you try it out. And, and it's amazing how it builds rapport. So in a typical session, I will, I will kick off. Uh, we'll do the stoplight check-in. It's, it's a way to gauge like the, the temperature of the room. It's also a great tool for people to take back. It is one of the stickiest things. Like I know as a presenter that people do not remember the majority of what I say, which is why I give them supplemental documents. But the stoplight check-in is super sticky. Um, how do you kick off team meetings? Have people rate their energy red, yellow, green? We talk through as we have these different types. I have people discuss, okay, how does a buck up Bobby tendency show up in your leadership style? How does it show up on your team? And then um, it's not just conceptual. We really wanna always make this actionable. Okay, how does empathy show up in your policies and procedures? What do you do on the first day, week, month after someone has gone through disruption? How does empathy show up in your calendar? Here's a little tip for anyone listening at this time of year. Thanksgiving and Christmas are coming. I have running, I put it about a week before the holiday. It's maybe a four day reminder. It is abbreviated FU, but not that FU, it's for follow up. And I keep people's names who I know that this is gonna be a difficult time or season. And I don't have to send them expensive bouquets or think you can if you're into that, but even just a text or a call or email I know this is probably a complicated time for you. I want to let you know I'm thinking of you. Anything that matters to us, we put in our calendar. And lots of times we want to write, even you're listening right now and you think that is a great idea and you apply some good intention to it. If you don't write it down, you won't do it. It's just applying the same intention that people who are great at their jobs do in so many areas to developing connection and rapport. And the policies and procedures you just mentioned there, Lisa, one in particular I want to get your input on this that often irks me is bereavement policies and just how tone. Deaf Amen. Tell me what irks you. Well, I, I want you, you're the expert on this, but it, you know, grief to me doesn't seem like one of those things where, Hey, you know what you get, you know, a week to grieve and then everything's back to normal. Like it's something that stays with you for a while. What do you recommend or what do you see from companies that are handling bereavement and grieving in particular? in much healthier ways as part of the employee experience. What does that look like? Yeah, the first step is to just take an inventory of your policies because it's something usually that nobody but HR touches and you like you don't think about it until you have to think about it right in front of your face. So uh, worst case are there's still some companies out there where you have to show like proof of a funeral 
like a kid displaying a hall pass when you come back, like that you weren't just going to Aruba or something. Um, I think that's indicative of a lot more problems with who you've hired and a dysfunctional culture than just around bereavement. But looking at how much time do you give? Are you taking into account that many people now need to travel because of how distant we are? Like, what are your time horizons look like? So the time is part of it. Um, I, I remember when Sheryl Sandberg, who had the Option B book after the death of her husband, she was a big impetus to really looking at Facebook's policies, like how much time, I think at a certain, they might've scaled it back as, as things go, but it was like 21 days. And I know that everybody cannot give that for bereavement. I think that even if you are a small and medium-sized company and you go really like, we, we can only give five days, that the skilling up is within equipping a team to support that person, to realize what you said. It's not just that you go to a funeral and you come back and everything is fine. That's when we talk about that first day, week, and month, specifically the manager, but also a basic skill set for teammates of like even asking, hey, how are you doing right now? I, I imagine this could be hard. Do you need any help on that deliverable? Just having it in the air. Like this isn't some taboo thing that we never talk about. Um, and that that is a uh, that's a growing curve in a number of different ways. But um, yes, skilling up around bereavement leave is a major opportunity for people. I've got a question and we're probably going to do this right after the break because I think it's going to be a little longer of an answer. But as, as you're talking about, we're talking about grieving. We're talking about sadness. We're talking about things going on in per people's lives. Uh, again, which fits into the whole conversation, you know, why people are quiet quitting. I know everybody thinks it's just people are lazy and slackers, but there are people that are just trying to take care of their lives. So this is what we're talking about, which, which deals with the empathy, but is what, what I want everybody to think about, and certainly want your answer here, Liesl, uh, is, is there, what opportunities exist more on the positive, for a positive experience? When things are going well, do we go, is the toolkit only for grieving? It, it's only for when we have to help somebody, uh, when we have to help them make them feel better. But what are the opportunities that are missed when things are going okay. So you gave the example of, uh, are you green, yellow, or red? And and let's say everybody puts green and you go, oh good, we don't have to talk about empathy today. Uh, we can put that aside, we're all good. Uh, so I'd like to hear your comments on that because I think that's really important that people just say, oh, well, well we have HR to talk about. You know, they, they're the people that need to deal with empathy uh, or this person's really good at that. And, and it's not something you can delegate. So, or a leader shouldn't delegate it anyway, unless they're really, really bad at it. We're going to take a quick break. You've been listening to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. We've got uh, Liesl Murdys today, and we're talking about empathy, not only in the workplace, but in lives, but especially in, in leadership and management and basically the whole workforce. If you have any questions, uh, please post them. If you're, you're watching on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, please post them. We'll try to get to them. If not, we can follow up afterwards. Uh, remember to go to googleizationnation.com if you're not a member already uh, and, be, and join Googleization Nation. And we're going to take a really quick break uh, and we're going to hear from two of our sponsors. Stay tuned. We'll be back. For most of us, change is freaking terrifying. And unfortunately, there's no app to adapt. That might change in the not so distant future. But for now, we're on our own. That means we can either accept our default future or reimagine our tomorrow. 
For those of you who choose default, good luck. Just remember, there's no pause button for change. You can't turn back the clock. And there's no get-out-of-jail-free card in this age of perpetual uncertainty. Like it or not, change will happen all around us. And that change is not becoming just more disruptive and frequent, but volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, or VUCA. Fortunately, you can make change work for you and turn it into your personal and competitive advantage. Reimagine your future to one in which you're living with purpose, you're happy, and you're growing, thriving, and flourishing. If you're ready to rewrite your next life chapter and regain control of your destiny in this never-normal world, your journey starts here. Contact the leader in adaptability and making change work for you, your team, and your organization. Ira S. Wolf, adaptability.expert. There's a certain kind of coach who believes what we believe, who leads people to greatness, who gets people unstuck, who unlocks all of your passion, a coach who helps people discover what drives them to tap into their superpowers. That knowing your why is the first step to untapped potential, to focus, to breakthroughs. A coach who's looking for a better way. Are you that coach? Welcome back, everyone, to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. If you'd like to learn more about adaptability, we've been talking about the Empathy Toolkit. You can go to adaptabilitytoolkit.com uh, and you can learn about the AQAI, the Adaptability Quotient. You can learn about AQ Mindset, which is about uh, coach, our coaching program for growth mindset, and also learn about how to discover your why. Uh, when we left off, we were talking about empathy, speaking of Empathy Toolkit. And the question that we had is, how does empathy play or what role does it play when things are going well? That is not just something that we reach for to fix a negative or a sad or a bad or a grieving situation. Great question. Because also, I'm, and I'll, I'll address an underside of it. I don't work with companies who I'm like their first touch point of culture. They're like, everything here is terrible. Nobody cares about people. Let's talk about empathy. Like this is something that layers on top of cultures that are generally working to be healthy and honor the whole person that's there. I mean, one of one of the darkest extensions of what capitalism can do is reduce people to nothing more than just what they produce in the course of a given day. Like that's how we assess you, that's how we view you. Um, so in good times and in hard times, it's this honoring of the whole person that shows up to work. Does that mean that I need to know, Ira, that you had a fight with your wife last night and it was so terrible and, you know, go, it's not like that. Um, but it's realizing that the whole person comes to work in good times too. So, um, yes, it's being able to celebrate, you know, uh, a great vacation that somebody had or a new baby or just a project that they nailed. And, you know, it sounds basic, but when people are looking for a place to start, I talk about leaders and I talk about the power dynamic that occurs within check-ins because, so starting to do check-ins, um, you know, addressing the human side, not just as something that you, you literally check the box on, 
not to overuse the word check in the midst of all of that, but just something like, oh, I've done it. I've asked the question. It's there, especially if you're a leader. These check-ins are a great way to, um, if, if this is language that hasn't really been present in your workplace, you're like, I don't know anything about what people do outside of how they deliver for me. Like we don't talk that way. People don't offer that. The check-ins is a good way to begin like softly leading into that. So say like you are green. So maybe uh, I'm having a green day. If, if you'd asked me on Monday, you know, how are you doing? I would say something like, you know, I'm green. I got to go with my son. I was his wedding date this weekend. We got to get geodes in the woods. It was really a lot of fun and I'm coming back pretty refreshed. You know, that's that's tight, that's not leaky, that's not taking up too much stuff. But suddenly, especially if I'm a leader, people underneath me are like, oh, we can talk about stuff like that. And maybe they're going to be a little bit more prone. Like you've opened the door. It is a heavy and hard ask if you're in a culture that isn't used to doing this, to have all the people underneath you being like, spill your stuff. Tell me, you know, how are you really doing? If that culture is not present at the top and if leaders aren't doing that, um, and, and one other thing to note in, in being able to just make it more available, I encourage leaders if they're learning this, like to be able to share a story of how they needed support in a good time or in a bad time in the workplace and just be able to like humanize it. You know, I, I remember about 10 years ago, we were moving and I, I needed extra time just in moving all the stuff. And there was a project that actually somebody picked up some slack on and that was so helpful for me. That's the sort of culture that we want to be here. We acknowledge that you have more than just deliverables going on. And isn't it great that we're a team that can help each other in times like that? So those are perfect examples, Liesl. And as you're mentioning those, I just am wondering, we have a lot of folks who listen to the show who are math geeks. They're always wanting to be able to measure stuff. And so I'm wondering, have, have you seen, are there ways to measure and capture these things that can help roll up to senior level leadership to, to get an idea of how much of an empathetic workplace are we actually creating here? Do we have some metrics around it? Not the way that we could or should. For all of you who love math, social science, and you're like SPSS gurus, let's come up with a better way of measuring this. Because one of the reasons that we're not training for it and developing, like I, let, let me know, it's not that it's without metrics. Ira quoted some of the ones that I do oftentimes in my presentations at the top of the episode. Go back and listen to it. But you know, I, I'd add to it, like in this business solver report, only 37% of executives even knew if their company offered mental health benefits. That's not saying that they knew what they were, just even knowing if they did. There's a huge disconnect and reports keep coming out in Forbes and Harvard Business Review about the need for it. But as to actually measuring the in impact, like I can tell you about companies that I have worked with over the span of a year or a year and a half, you know, personal stories of people growing in this, feeling more connected. But what we really do need is a better tool to capture and measure this. And it's hard because empathy is also an art of human connection. So we don't want to reduce it just to numbers. So someone who's skilled, I actually have a social scientist friend who I know is listening today. Do it. Build it. There's a huge need for it. I'll help you sell it. Um, let's, in five to 10 years, really be able to have it be a common part of performance reviews where we're asking and gathering that not in an ad hoc way, but in a much more strategic one, which helps us with compensation and promotion and things like that, because it really is that important. We should be hinging a lot more of how people progress within our organizations on how they're able to operate within this skill set. 
And I, I think this is really important. I reference the Gallup emotions uh, study uh, all the time. It used to be the happiness index. Now it's the positive experience index. And I, one of the things that and it just hit me this year, probably because we're diving into it a lot more, uh, is that people can have negative experiences and positive experiences. So as we started out, the questions that we talked about is, did people feel joy? Did they learn something? Did they feel respected? And people can say, yes, yes, yes. I, I, I feel good about that. And it go, okay, good. We don't need to, we don't need to go to the empathy toolkit, but they, at the same time, they can feel sad and worried and be anxious and be in a pain, which is what measures the negative experiences. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that that fact is, I loved how you, you, you answered one of the questions I had is that if everybody's green and maybe a handful of yellows is how do you start the conversation? How do you say, well, why, why are you green? You know, what, what made that, yeah. what, what happened yesterday that, that you felt green and not one take it for granted because everybody wants to brush by because frankly, I'm, I belong to a number of organizations that are, that are trying to be much more attentive to this. But when I'm in these conversations, every meeting starts out with, um, tell me something positive that happened or tell me if you're green, yellow, or red. And then they ghost you for a week. After that, it's like, I got a question I need this answered. And it turns something that's a simple question that you can solve my problem. And then I can't get you. I don't hear from you until the next time I go, well, how was your, how was your week? You know, what was the positive mm -hmm. event? That that's an, I guess a tactic of empathy, but it doesn't say that you really, you're checked off the box. Right. right? <laughs> I, I am also the host of a podcast where I interview people. It's the Handle with Care Empathy at Work podcast. But I remember an interview because I interview people who go through disruptive life events. And um, it was Jason Seiden, and he was sharing um, about the death of his child. And in the midst of doing that, you know, he, he talked about what it could feel like when he was with someone in a workplace setting. And it was like, they asked, but there was no time in the meeting to even hear the answer. And like, you knew, like there wasn't even budgeted time. There was so much to do. And he talked about in, in his own leadership and practice moving forward, like if I'm, if I'm gonna ask, especially if I know something really horrible like that has happened, I need to have space, like even in the schedule to be able to listen. Um, so yes, it's more than just box checking. And, and the art of asking questions is huge. I also do sessions on cultivating resilience or how to have better performance reviews. And especially in those sessions, like how do you ask a good question? What is better than just how you're doing? That is a fine place to start. If you're not asked exactly what you said, Ira, what's the biggest challenge you're facing right now? What's something that's frustrating you? What's something that is bringing you joy? And we had a question from Vansa, so uh, she is listening, mm -hmm. um, and said, you asked my burning question, measurement. I wonder what the ways in which aspects of empathy are differently valued across groups. Yes, this is true. And it is, uh, I do a lot of work in U.S. context, but even recently was scoping some East Asian work, which is its own invitation, because connection uh, has different manifestations within different cultural expressions. The best thing that I can say uh, along that is, in the trainings I do, I try to equip people with different things in their toolkit, but the key is always radical attention and curiosity about the other person. Um, in some sessions I do, there's a whole portion on imagination, which could sound like some reading rainbow, like, oh, imagination, but really that is part of it, like putting yourself in someone else's perspective. How do you read body language in a situation? If you're, if you're trying one approach to empathy and somebody is like 
shut down. They're not talking. You need to develop the art and the skill. And we work on this in the sessions of being like, they probably don't want to talk right now. And don't take that personally and keep pressing into the issue. The, the goal is to have enough tools in our toolkit to be able to do that. But yes, the even as I teach on like a empathy and Zoom, I always say, so I was doing a, a Midwest-centered session. And I say, okay, in our context here in the U.S. and specifically in the Midwest, leaning forward and nodding and maintaining eye contact tends to be a way to show people that you care. That's not true everywhere in the same sort of way. And especially if you're doing work internationally, you should study up on uh, what communicates care and what doesn't because there are different cultural manifestations. You know, another thing that we think we're so clever about, Ira, because probably you guys are like this. You got another screen over here. We got the phones that are right there just in case something happens. And we think we are so clever in the midst of like, I'm just going to glance at it. I'm just going to glance at it. And like people know, they all know that you're not actually paying attention. And so I, I suggest also just over communicating around Zoom. Like I'm a note taker. I, I will write with clients or scoping or even just personal things. And I say, I want to let you know I'm taking notes right now. And I hold up my notebook because taking notes looks just like looking at your phone. And nobody knows the difference unless you go out of your way to talk. About and in that it. spirit, Liesl, I, I'm holding mine up because I have been looking down a few times. I want you to know that I am taking notes. Yeah. In case anybody was looking at Jason the whole time and be like, he totally checked out on Instagram. That's right. That's right. Liesl, I love the story that you shared there with Jason on your podcast. And now he was sharing about, you know, a tragic moment of, of losing a child and that that was a memorable conversation that you had. How about taking that? Are there memorable stories or experiences when you've gone into work and do consulting with some workplaces? Is there one particular story or experience that comes to mind that you'd love to share with our listeners? Thank you for that invitation. Um, I feel I love what I get to do. I feel like organizationally and personally, I get to I get to like midwife these moments of growth, these aha moments. Uh, you asked me for one, I'm going to tell you two brief ones. One was from a post-session survey, and I could compare it with the pre-session data. Um, and uh, it was small enough that there was a guy, he was he was very uh, data-driven because I, I asked, you know, was that you afterwards? And he was like, I don't know why we need to do this. He was very candid. Is this just some like yoga, kumbaya sort of a thing? Uh, and in the post that he actually wrote in his review and came up afterwards, and he was like, this is so helpful because I didn't even know the stuff that I was doing that wasn't working. Like, thank you for breaking it down into steps. Um, that's something I go out of my way to do as a trainer, to be able to just have everybody move incrementally. Um, another really meaningful story of feedback, I, I love getting to work with all organizations, but specifically during the pandemic with healthcare providers. And I did a session for a, a large healthcare organization and a, a woman emailed me, um, you know, a couple of days afterwards. And she said, this was so meaningful. She said, I realized all of these behaviors that I have done to my daughter who I've been estranged with, who's on her addiction journey for a couple of years. And she goes, I, I was able, I just called her up and we had just the best two hour conversation. I feel like we're on a totally different trajectory. Um, that that is their good work, not mine. But I love being a part of those moments of people going, it can be better, and I see a way for it to be different, whether that's 
personal or work. Um, I love that part of what I get to do. Thank you for sharing that, Liesl. And I think I speak for all of us when I say we don't want this conversation to end. I can't believe that we're already to the end. And we are absolutely going to have to have you back on for a part two mm-hmm. um, in, in continuation because we certainly have just scratched the surface today on, on empathy. Um, but what we want to do next, Liesl, if it's okay with you, is hop into our lightning round so that we can help our listeners get to know you on a little bit more of a personal level before we wrap things up here. So are you ready for a few lightning round questions? I'm ready. All right, here we go. Let's start off with with an easier one here. How about uh, who is your favorite musical artist? Bob Dylan or Andrew Peterson. Oh, nice. I haven't heard of Andrew Peterson. Have you heard of Andrew Peterson, Ira? I haven't. He's, he's, like, he's very niche. He's kind of small. He's a guy in his guitar, but I love his lyrics. I'm going to have to check him out on Spotify. You guys have apparently heard of Bob Dylan, though. Oh, yeah. Also a guy with his guitar. How about uh, favorite location on Earth? If you could go on a vacation somewhere, where would you pick? I would either go to Sedona or I would go paddleboarding with my husband in the Apostle Island Sea Caves in northern Wisconsin. Both great trips. Both great trips. And you also win the award for the most specific location that we have ever received on that. I absolutely love it. Usually someone will just give the name of a city, but you have a specific location within a city. I love that. And the activity. Paddleboarding would have to be part of it. Love it. Love it. How about if you could choose any superpower, what would you choose? I'd probably want to fly. I feel like that would be really convenient. Right. Yeah. Especially with all of the layovers and cancellations. I don't want to read people's minds. I feel like that would just destroy (laughs) my vision of humanity or teleport. No, I don't want to fly. I want to teleport. Thanks for allowing me to process that. I definitely want to teleport. There you go. I love it. Absolutely. And then uh, one more. How about um, what's the best piece of advice maybe that you've ever received? I'll tell you the best piece of advice I've ever received for my business because that's a little bit uh, lower hanging fruit. I think we'd have to have a philosophical conversation over coffee about best of my life. But best for my business was somebody said early on to me as I was beginning, he said, you know, the difference between people who make their ideas happen and people that don't. And I said, no, tell me. And he said, they just keep doing it. Like they keep doing their idea. They keep they keep finessing it. They keep working at it. There's so many people that quit along the way. And I that feels very resonant. That feels very true. Just keep doing it. Not the same way that's not working, but be willing to just stick with it. I love that. Persevering through it all. And certainly that takes empathy as well um, to, to work through those things. With yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Liesl, we cannot thank you enough for coming on the show. Um, and obviously, we for those who are watching, you can see we've got LieselMurtis.com on the screen that's scrolling there. That's where you can learn more about her work, um, where she does empathy consulting in the workplace. Um, but for those who aren't seeing it, it's L-I-E-S-E-L-M-E-R-T-E-S.com. And that's where you can go and learn more information. And also, Liesl looks like just like Iron myself, you love to be on LinkedIn. I see you're very active and post a lot of wonderful content. Is that another great way for people to get in contact with you? That's another great way. I mean, who who wants to spend time on Facebook? Spend time on LinkedIn instead. You can make it feel like a business thing. <laughs> That's exactly right. Well, thank you so much, Liesl. And um, we'll look forward to having you on uh, for another episode. And I'm going to hand it back over to Iris. We'll get ready to wrap up.
Thanks very much, Liesl. And uh, we'll definitely be in touch. That invitation is open. This is going to be a conversation that goes on for a long, long time because the bar is pretty low for companies. And uh, hopefully uh, we will figure out a way to measure. And hopefully there's a few listeners that'll take you up on your challenge. We already had one. Again, stay safe uh, and we'll have you back soon. Thank you. Ira, what was, uh, I mean, there, there was so much that we covered there, but what were some of the big aha moments or takeaways that you had today with Liesl? I think the one point that really hit me was that, and again, I just never thought about it before, was empathy isn't just, we, we just can't reach for that empathy toolkit when we're grieving or when people are sad or when people, you know, you ask how to rate people and they, they say they're yellow or red and say, oh, we, we need to talk about that. Uh, but you can also, empathy has a role when people are positive and I, I also, or feeling green or, or they're experiencing joy, but you can experience the joy and, and negativity at the, at the same time as well. So I, I think that was the one, uh, it was also really interesting because it was real hot on, because it was asked yesterday, you know, is it a trait or is it, or is it an ability and, and certainly a skill, something that people can develop, but, you know, as, as we suspected for some people, it's going to be easier than others. But I thought that was a great question that was asked about, are there different groups that experience it differently? And we thank our, our audience member um, who was able to share that. That was an incredible question. I hadn't thought about that one, but I'm glad that we went there with Liesl today. The, the piece for me that she shared that, that's going to stick with me moving forward, when we started talking about bereavement as one aspect within business where empathy really needs to be displayed, we we're talking about, she, she said, it's not just about the number. It's not just about if you're an executive, if you're an HR leader of just saying, okay, we're going to move it from seven days to 14. She said, it's about equipping the teams and the people that surround that person when they come back to make sure they have the empathy skills to be there to support and nurture and guide that person as they're reintegrating back into work now with this new part of their life that's with them, this grief that's happened. That was profound to me because I think so often we think in terms of what's the quick and easy thing we can do in terms of a policy and procedure, let's adjust the number. And while that might be part of the equation, we're leaving off the table the most important part, which is this is about equipping people with the human to human skills to nurture, support, and help people grow. And that for me was uh, something that I'll take with me and certainly I'm going to continue pointing some folks Liesl's direction that can use that type of development and growth. Because as you shared, Ira, we need more organizations that are bringing empathy um, into the workplace and living it out with each other. And we certainly have a lot more to, a lot of work to do. We, we talk about employee experience all the time, but this is part of that. I mean, this is a leadership skill. So we have a, we have a long way to go, Jason. We sure do. But that's it for us today. Googleization Nation, we want to thank you for tuning in. Uh, thank you to Liesl for joining us today. If you have not subscribed to the podcast, please do so. We'd love it if you also drop us a rating or review. And also, um, you can join Googleization Nation, our community. We have some really exciting things that are coming out around the corner with the community. And also, thank you for helping us make it into the top 1% of all podcasts in the world in popularity. That's because of our wonderful guests like Liesl, our amazing loyal listeners, and of course, our partners at People Forward Network. So until next time, I'm Jason Cochran signing off.
And I'm Ira Wolf. Special thanks to Y Institute for partnering with us and sponsoring this episode. Thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. And until next time, don't let the shift hit your plans. (laughs) 